0: I remember a time in my life, which was unfortunately not that long ago, that I thought that rest was for the lazy. And friends, what I ended up experiencing was burnout, adrenal fatigue, complete demotivation and depression from everything in my life because I had overworked myself. That is why I am so excited today to talk to Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith, who is a board certified internal medicine physician. She's a speaker and she's an author, but most importantly, she has researched rest. And she has identified that there are actually seven different types of rest that we should be aware of and how it's not just about taking a day or a weekend off and laying in bed. That can be a type of rest. But there are seven different things that we may need rest from, and each of them look different. As we had this discussion in the conversation, I had so many aha moments and started immediately making changes into how I was interacting with different things in my daily life just from this. Also, Dr. Dalton Smith has been featured on numerous media outlets like MSNBC, Women's Day, a guest on the Dr. Oz show, so many fun things. And she is the author of many books, but the one that covers what we're talking about today is called Sacred Rest. Recover your life, renew your energy, restore your sanity. Lord knows we all need that. So, take a listen as I uncover some amazing things for you to know about rest on this conversation with Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts with Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies you can become more attractive to others and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. If you've ever wanted to know what your attractiveness score is, then I have a free guide that you're going to want to go and download. Now, I'm going to tell you that this isn't going to be like those quizzes or surveys or tests that you see online that are like, how hot are you or how sexy are you? Because I think those end up making people feel worse about themselves at the end than ever before. This free attraction assessment guide that I have created is a no gimmicks, truthful, and honest representation of how you can assess yourself and see the areas of attraction that you feel most confident in and the areas of attraction where you need opportunity for growth. It's not going to be done in a way that makes you feel worse about yourself, but is going to give you real tools and tactics that you can begin to implement after you know which areas you should focus a little more on and which ones you're already slaying. You can go and get your free guide at itstartswithattraction.com. You'll see the opt-in form in the lower right-hand corner, and it'll be emailed to you immediately. I can't wait to hear about your results and your scores and the way that you decide to make some changes in your life so that you can be the most attractive that you can be. Go and get your free guide at itstartswithattraction.com. I'm so excited to have Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith with me today, who... Is so fascinating, just reading her bio, looking at her website, because she has been a, a doctor, an internal medicine doctor. She has been a busy working woman, but she has decided to highlight and prioritize rest, which, whoo, that can be a hard one. Do- Dr. Sanja, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh
0: well, so Please fill us in on what led you to wanting to really dive into rest and why it's important.
1: Well, that's easy. I burned out. When you burn out, do you really start having a new appreciation for your body's need to rest? And honestly, it was one of those things where because of my medical background, I think I automatically just assumed if I was cutting back on things, taking the vacation more, getting more sleep, then I should not be tired. And so after my initial burnout, that's kind of where I focused a lot of my attention. Let me get the eight, nine hours of sleep. Let me take the occasional vacation and do all of these different things. And I was not feeling any better. I mean, I had a little bit of improvement, but not really what I was expecting, having made those big major changes. And I think that's when it really dawned on me that rest has to be more than just sleeping and going on vacations. There's some part of it that I'm not getting, and that's where the research came from.
0: Hmm. So, one of the the things that is very unique that I've seen from your website is that there are seven different types of rest or seven different categories. Can you tell us more about that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, that's, that's all the research. That's the the years of kind of going through, I say, battling through my own recovery. Because when I got to that point where I felt like physically, I was sleeping, and I felt like my sleep was high quality sleep, there was no reason that the sleeping was could be the issue. What I noticed was I still, I still felt tired. And so you put, you know, it's a very desperate situation when you go to bed and you get what you're told you're supposed to need to feel energized and you wake up in the next morning and you're still exhausted. And I feel like there's a whole generation of people who are living that same experience. And that is what I found out was that I needed to figure out what kind of tired am I? I wasn't just physically tired. In my particular case, I was emotionally and mentally tired. But I had never even thought about those being areas of my life that I needed to intentionally rest. And honestly, I didn't even know how to do that. I didn't know what that would even look like to get mental or emotional rest. How did you know you were burnt out? For me, the way I define burnout is when your level of fatigue reaches a point that it is negatively impacting other areas of your life. Hmm. So for example, you are feeling tired, you're feeling drained is affecting your relationships, your career, your happiness, your financial intake is starting to have that that drain, that exhaustion is starting to have a negative impact on the other areas of your life. It's not just that you're tired, you're tired now has consequences that's when you start noticing that you're going into a level of burnout. And, you know, for myself, when I started looking at that, because I felt like, like I said, it wasn't just the physical. When I started looking at these different areas, and I and as a physician, I was having lots of people come into my medical practice saying they were tired all the time. I mean, that's a very common complaint at a medical doctor's office. I started asking people like, okay, so give me some examples of what you mean by you're tired. Mm-hmm. Don't just tell me you're tired what do you mean? Well, I don't feel motivated. Well, I don't feel like what I do has any purpose. Well, I feel like my energy level's gone. Well, my neck and back's hurting all the time. And I was getting all of these different symptoms that people were coming up with. Some tangible some not so tangible and i kind of just kind of kept a record of all of these different things people were saying and started categorizing them and as i kind of started pulling them apart into you know wh- what goes where that's when the seven kind of flushed out of out of that um, the set what i call the seven types of rest which are physical mental spiritual emotional social sensory and creative those were the areas that people repetitively gave examples of feeling depleted and drained as if they were pouring out energy throughout their day in these areas and wasn't able to kind of get poured back into. Hmm.
0: So the, the seven areas are physical, mental, emotional, Spiritual, spiritual, sensory,
1: social, and creative. Can you talk more about sensory and creative? Yes, uh, sensory rest is, well, what it deals with is really getting back to an appreciation of downgrading our senses. For most of us, our senses are under attack all day long. We live in a level of sensory overload, whether it's because our work has us in front of computers or we just have a lot of gadgets. We use our phones and our iPads and all of these things often. Um, It can include the background sounds that you're having, depending on if your office space has phones ringing or if your home has the TV or radio going all the time. It can include the lights from your computer, the uh, fluorescent lights in your building, the smells if you're working around people and different perfumes and all of that. So if you think about just all the different ways our senses are used, when do we purposely downgrade that? And for a lot of us, we have gotten accustomed to being sensory overloaded that we just assume that that's the norm. So if the TV turns on in the morning, it stays on till midnight, whenever whoever turns it back off before going to bed, whether anybody's watching it or not, or the music goes on in the car, whether you really need any more, it's just what you do. You turn it on when you go in the car, and I think that's the thing we're not really aware of how much. That sensory input is actually affecting us. A lot of people, I'll give you an example. Um, 2020, we had a whole lot go on in 2020. And so some of the statistics that we were looking at right around the time people were doing, you know, they were being locked in and couldn't do all of these different activities. One of the key things we noticed that the sensory rest deficit was getting higher and higher as people took my rest quiz. And it's like, they're at home, you know, so maybe they're watching TV, but aren't they supposed to be like working from home? <laughs> so, you know, it's like, so why is it so high? But if you took jobs like myself as a physician, where my job would have me maybe, t- t- you know, tactile hands on people overloaded from touch all day, now it was telemed where every interaction was actually through a screen. So, that's, so so. then once I started looking at, you know, even careers that never hardly had to be on the computer as much as they are now are almost solely on the computer, you could see why so many people were saying they couldn't sleep well at night, why their anxiety level was going up, why they were feeling more worried and more anxious, even above and beyond the general population. And that's because the more sensory overloaded we get, the more our emotions start taking uh, kind of taking an effect. The anxiety, the stress, the rage, all of those things escalate as our sensory overload worsens. And that's why we need sensory rest. We need time to silence. We need to turn off the gadgets. We need to have darkness when we go to sleep at night.
0: This is my struggle right now. As I was hearing you speak, I thought, this is the answer to so many of my questions (laughs) because even last night I felt like I was in this just, I couldn't calm down. Like I couldn't down regulate and I kept checking my phone. It was just constant. Like kept opening my email, kept opening my other email, like just waiting for something. And so it's, I know I need a rest from it, or I knew I last night I knew I needed a rest from it, but it was also difficult
1: to break away from it.
0: yes, so what do you do in those
1: instances? you know what that's that's a great question because i I find that so many of us we are so accustomed to using our gadgets for, uh, so often because you know for a lot of us our gadgets are a part of our careers is how we make our income is how we make our living and so. When we are putting it down, it almost, especially if you've used it for eight hours, ten hours during a day, it feels like you've left a part of you behind, (laughs) like you've forgotten something that's vital to your existence. And so, what I find is there has to be a little bit of a wean process to that. And so, one of the things that you can start doing, I call it time blocking. There is probably other names for it, but basically, particularly with email, having certain periods of the day that you are going to focus on email. And so for a lot, for a lot of us, we have more mental capacity earlier in the morning before our our brains get kind of fatigued (laughs) from making decisions all day long and doing all the things. So if you have lots of emails that come through your inbox, make a, have a time block in the morning where you do the bulk of your email kind of sorting through and processing and answering and all of that. Have another time, maybe in the middle of the day, if your job is where you're doing a lot of email, and then have a very short time right before you go off. And I do say off because there has to be an end. And so a very short period where you are not trying to answer all the emails at that third period, but you're just skimming them to see which ones are necessary to answer right now. Hmm. And anything else that is not like blaring, doesn't have the little red check, you know, the little red emergency mark, you can put that off for the next morning because most of the time, it's not something that has to be answered within less than 24 hours. If you got to it the next morning, it would be fine. And so by time blocking, you take off the pressure of thinking, I have to check it every time one comes through and you kind of take back control over it. Another very quick um, way of doing that is with the notifications on your on your devices. For so many people, they have gotten into kind of like a cortisol response, kind of like it, like you get that little adrenaline push whenever whenever someone dings you on, whether it's social media or your, your text messages or whatever it is. And some of us have become a little addicted to that kind of a little adrenaline push that comes from that. However, excessive adrenaline push actually leads to more exhaustion because you're just of pouring into that fight or flight response uh, syndrome and keeping your body in a high stress state. And so start thinking about, do I need all of the notifications that are actually on my devices? Because chances are, you don't. Um, You know, with social media, you don't need to know at the moment it happens when someone posts a picture. That's not really necessary. You can choose to go in there at a certain time and look at that at your own leisure. Um, You know, really for most of us, the only notifications we really need are our text messages and our phone. Mm -hmm. What it used to only be used for, you know, before it got all fancy and they went to $1,000 a phone. That's really all we need are the text message and the phone. We need to be emergently contacted and that's when our fight or flight response should kick in. Because those are usually true emergencies. You know, if someone's digging, you, especially nowadays, if someone's calling me, I know something's wrong. <laughs> Everybody sends a text or a message or or something on social media. If I get a phone call, I'm like, "Oh, this is serious."
0: Yes, need to take it. I hear you. I hear you with that. And it's it's so interesting because I I can just remember before any of this. I mean, even before my family had a computer in our house, and how yes, you know, there was still TV, but there there was a lot more. Mm, I don't want to use the word silence, but it's all I can think of. There was more space. There was
1: just more space. That's that's a great word for it, actually, because I think that's what we don't have right now. We don't have space for our brains to even have the ability to be creative. It's full all the time. It's constantly overloaded with with bits of information and, and things to consume. And we don't have a lot of just mental and cerebral white space. And I think it keeps us kind of all in this level of just feeling overwhelmed in so many different ways, not just sensory, but mentally, emotionally. You know, we talked about social media, but emotional overwhelm. That's what a lot of us experience when we go on social media. You you, you see everyone, everything from someone got married to someone's child got killed in a car accident. I mean, it's like your emotions are on this major roller coaster ride from one post to the next. It's, it's exhausting.
0: I never thought of it that way. But you're so right. You're so right. So we've talked about one area, can you give a brief description of the other six areas of rest?
1: Yes. So physical, I think is probably the easiest one for most people to comprehend, but it's divided up even into two sections. You have the passive physical rest, which is sleeping and napping. Then you have active physical rest, which include things like yoga and stretching and leisure walks. It's those things that you do with your body to relax the muscles and to help improve your circulation and lymphatics. And that's just as important as the sleeping because so many of us, you know, we sit at a desk and we're wondering why my neck hurts and my back hurts. And, you know, it really has to do with the body ergonomics and the sedentary situation that maybe you're doing at your desk and not doing the stretches and the necessary things to keep your body in a fluid state. Um, Mental, we kind of touched on a little bit. And that's really just kind of clearing out the headspace, making sure you're not practicing thought rumination where you're going over conversations that maybe you had that day you wish you'd said better or going over kind of negative thought processes about yourself and just really getting to a place of being able to clear your headspace. Spiritual rest depends on your own spiritual beliefs, but really boils down to having that sense of belonging, of being part of something larger um emotional rest deals with the, it deals with your feelings but not just having the feelings but being able to authentically express yourself to others not having that the extra pressure and stress of feeling like you have to pretty up your emotions so that other people can digest them better i think too often we spend a lot of energy trying to make sure people can can tolerate us hmm. And you have have those times where you feel like you can truly just say it like it is. If you're not okay, you're not okay. And there needs to be people in your life, whether that's a counselor or a therapist or a coach, doesn't have to be a family member or a friend, that just needs to be someone that you feel like you can be openly honest and truthful about where you're at, where you can have that level of vulnerability that brings that rest that that we all need, that we know that at the core, we're okay, even when we're not okay, that we're still Um, And then we have social rest, which also deals with people, but in how people pull on our energy. And so, you know, there's people in our lives we love, our kids, our spouses, our friends, but they're always needing things from us. So they're negatively pulling from our energy. We have to spend as much time or at least some time with people who are pouring back into us who don't need anything, who are not asking any favors of us, who don't need us to cook dinner or do anything else. They just want to spend time in our presence. And, you know, unfortunately, the people who are are negatively pulling from our energy will always be louder than the people who want to pour back into us. And so you have to really kind of make it a practice of spending some time around friends who don't need anything from you, that you just enjoy being in their presence. And then um, creative, I think, is the last one that we haven't spoke about yet. And creative rest is the rest we experience from beauty. Not creating beauty, but allowing beauty to create something inside of us. And so I think the best example of this is what th- those of us who experience this kind of restful and restorative feeling when we're around nature. Some do it, get it with bodies of water. When they're at the beach, they just kind of feel better. Others get it in the mountains. Some people get it in beautiful settings like around art museums or listening to the symphony or going to the theater. But you're there not trying to make something happen, but to consume the beauty that's already present. And I think you put less emphasis on that because you don't understand how it affects us uh, as, as creative beings ourselves. Because to... We, all of us are creative. Whether you're a painter, you know, if you're not a painter or an author, you may think, well, I'm not really a creative person. But if you're a teacher creating lesson plans, a homeschooling mom having to figure out how to teach a four-year-old and a 14-year-old, um, if you're a business owner and you're having to come up with innovative ideas and think outside the box, if you're in marketing and you're trying to kind of stay ahead of the curve, then you are a creative person and you're using creative energy. And so it's so important to have time to Back into yourself creatively. You know, I love that many of the huge companies, uh, Google and, and um, Facebook, and a lot of these huge companies have adapted to this process of uh, creative rest. And inside of their office spaces, they purposely put colorful walls and beautiful pictures and imagery because they understand the power of it to help them stay creative. Hmm.
0: So you said at the beginning, that you found in your journey that it wasn't just going to be sleeping eight hours a night or taking vacation that was going to restore you. So what are the things in each of these areas? I mean, I'm, I'm listening to everyone and I'm thinking, yep, need that one. Yep. need that. Like every single one. And, but I'm, th- but then my follow-up question is, so what do you actually do to get the rest in these areas?
1: Yes. So, well, let me tell you this. The very first thing I recommend for any of my my own personal clients that I work with is always to start by assessing which type of rest is it you need most. Because I think here and there's seven. For some of us that particularly like myself who are like high achievers is like, if there's seven, I'm getting all seven All of them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like mission. Let's go. So, but no, that's not. not the approach for this particular issue. So start with the one that has the highest level of deficit. And so I have a quiz at restquiz.com. I always have all of my clients go through it. It's a free assessment. They find out which of the seven types of rest they're most efficient in. And then I have them focus on the one that is actually causing them the most distress. Sometimes someone will have like an exact same score or two very high scores and we may hit both of them at the same time because some things can be kind of incorporated together, emotional and social, you know, spiritual and creative. Some of these things can be connected. But I think for the most part, once you narrow it down to the few that really are bothering you, that are making you feel the most fatigued, when you put your energy in getting restorative activities in those areas, you automatically feel better. And I think that's the key mindset shift is that rest isn't just about the cessation of activity. It's not about stopping. It's not about sleeping. It's about getting the correct restorative activities to replace the rest deficit that you have. So for myself, I mentioned mine was emotional rest. I, I was a physician. I was the one always in charge. I walk in the hospital, there's Dr. Dalton, go get her to do this, do that. You know, so <laughs> there's never a time to share my emotions. I can have a patient die directly in front of me, but tears was not appropriate because I've then got to be strong to talk to nurses and family. And so there was Never a time to process all the stuff that was going on inside of me. And so I needed to have people in my life that I could say, this was not a good day. You know, I lost a patient of 15 years. This is not a good day. I'm not in a good headspace right now. You know, got to have those kind of people, because what happens is it becomes very toxic when you don't have that rest. And so that was one of the things for me. It was really finding who is it in my life that I feel I can trust enough with my authentic, authenticity and vulnerability. And then the second part for me was social rest. Because my career had been such a big part of my life, I didn't put a lot of focus on making friends. I had family, I had work. Friends were like, oh, who's got time? And so I had to get back into the habit of reaching out to people. One of the studies that I loved, it talked about how you know relationships can be built around having some face-to-face time. Well, this was my concern. My closest friends were the two closest people I felt to me. One was in California. The other one was in Colorado, was in California. One's in California. The other one's in Canada. And I'm on the East Coast. So it's like, we can't just get together for like a coffee. I mean, it's like major miles. And then what I noticed was when we spent time during like video chat, I felt connected to them. And that was one of the things that came out in some of that research, that just the power of presence, seeing someone's mannerisms, facial expressions, you know, just how they respond to whatever it is you're saying to them, to be able to kind of look into their eyes, even if it's through a camera, just how powerful that was. And so those two friends, we've been doing it every month. We have at least one video, hour-long video chat session for the past eight years. We do it without fail. And it has So kind of change that whole um, social rest aspect for me because now they don't feel, they don't feel foreign. They don't feel like, well, they're my friends, but I never get to see them. I get to see them all the time. (laughs) That's so
0: great. My, my cousin, a couple of weeks ago, she went on a girl's vacation with some of her friends. I don't know where they went, but I, that one of the things I remember thinking when I heard that was, I need friends that I can go on a girl's vacation with. But just like you, there's that, there's that part of I've been working, I've been momming, I've been like, there's all these excuses, right? But then there's also so when you when you reach out, and you're wanting to rekindle friendships, or you're wanting to create friendships from the get go, that will build that that social part that we so need, but it can also be draining, right?
1: Yes. Now, that's the thing, because social, you have to look at how people pull from you. So these two women, the majority of our time together, it's all fulfilling. Now we've gone through hard things. One of them lost their husband, like unexpectedly kind of situation. So we've gone through hard things together. So there has been times in those eight years where we're all kind of she's the one who's needing all of our energy. And we are kind of, but the majority of our times together, it's kind of an equal give and take. We kind of spend time, we each take a moment to go around and share what's going on with us. We laugh together, we cry together. So it feels more like a filling than it does than a pulling. Mm-hmm. Whereas And I am with other people, like my patients, it's all pulling. They're not. It's, it's rare that they, you know, but people don't go give their doctor a compliment how great, how, no matter how great their doctor Aww, is. Oh, that's it's, sad. It happen. It's like, uh, this hurts, that hurts. Oh, I felt great. This is good. That's good. <laughs> you know, it's like we go through because that's the nature of the relationship. That is just the nature of the relationship. And so you have to understand there are relationships where they're going to be pulling from you because that's what they need. They need your experience. They need whatever you're offering. So you have to just make sure that there's also people in your life don't need anything from you. They just like being around you. Hmm. That's so good.
0: Now, what would you say if you had, if you had someone who, who was really struggling in this social arena and with, with boundaries? So a lot of people are pulling on me, my kids, my husband, or my wife, or who, so what would be your recommendation on how to get them to understand what that healthy relationship should look like?
1: Well, I think that's the the key. That's the very first thing is that you must have boundaries because the lack of boundaries in itself will create a deficit. Because if you don't have any type of personal boundaries erected, what will happen is people will, will... Will encroach on those boundaries and you'll start having negative responses to them because they're not kind of honoring or respecting you. But how can they honor and respect the boundaries that they never knew existed, that no one's ever explained to them? And so I think it's very important to just, at, first, just be aware of that, that you must have some boundaries in place on what is acceptable. What are my priorities? What is it I want to accomplish this year, this week, this month? And then to be able to express that to people. I find that oftentimes when someone's telling me that someone is um, disrespecting them, that is the, the situation. They don't know the boundaries. So they're not trying to respect them. They just don't know that they're stepping on them because they didn't know the boundary existed there. And so I think the first step is just communicating that. Communicating, this is important to me. Every day at four, I want to go for a walk for 30 minutes outside, unless, you know, unless something crazy is happening, that's where I'm going to be. And so when you tell people that, and then your friend calls at four and says, hey, I want to talk to you about this. Can you talk? You can say, no, this is my walk time. I'm going to go <laughs> and that you've told them that, but people will pressure you on your boundaries. They will test your resolve to stick with your boundary, you, and the, and that's just a, kind of a very light version of it. But I think it's it gives a good illustration because for many of us, we have things like that. We've said, "I want to do this," or "I'm going to set this time aside for myself," or "I'm going to allow this to be for me." And then somebody comes on with a pressing issue in the moment that it's pressing for them, but should not cross your boundary.
0: Amen. That's so good. And so true. Yes. So I have, I, I didn't realize that I did this until you were talking, but that's how I am with my mornings. I am very much, this is my time to work out. This is the time I do it. This is what I do when I work out. And I will ignore phone calls. I, because I've found that, that when I answer a phone call, it might be from my mom. And if she calls twice in a row, then you think it's an emergency, right? I need to answer. And then it's typically, I can't find something, you know, it's typically something that's just for her, an emergency, but it throws me off kilter so much. I start feeling anxious, even though it was just a quick call, but it was my time. So I have become rigid about that. (laughs) And and for me, it's been very helpful. But what, from what I'm hearing you say is that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's it's just my, my boundary.
1: Yeah, I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to have erected boundaries because then you start valuing yourself, your time and your needs. And I think that's something that many of us have fallen out of favor with. You know, it's, it's this mentality that I must selfishly give of myself till I'm drained and in the grave. And that is not beneficial to anybody. We have to to get back to a place where we understand that self-care and doing the things that are necessary to keep us at our best actually helps everybody else who wants a piece of us. They don't know it. They want us in the moment, but they really want the best version of us. And to get the best version of us means you have to be self-aware enough to sometimes erect boundaries they're not going to like.
0: So what, what would your encouragement be for people who may be a single parent or, um, or even just acting right now as a single parent, because for whatever reason, there's not someone helping them and they, they are busy and they're saying their, their obstacle back to you would be, I don't have time to rest. What would you say to those people?
1: Well, this is what I tend to have people do because I don't believe in having to carve, carve out like huge areas of life to do these restorative activities. I'm about doing it in the middle of your busy day. We're all busy. We all have lots of stuff to go on, to, to do and that we need to accomplish responsibilities, obligations. And so when you're looking at whatever your rest deficit is, the tips that I tend to give, you know, within my book Sacred Rest are specifically tips to do in the middle of a busy day. Because I don't want you to go on a five year sabbatical. With staring at grass till you figure out the wonders of the world. You know, that's not going to happen for most of us. We need to be able to have our mind cleared while we are having to deal with what, you know, I got to pack a lunch for tomorrow. (laughs) I've got to do this for the next day. How do I then get a chance to clear my mind and go to sleep at night? And so that's what I tend to have people focus on. What are the things you can do in the middle of your day? So let's say if that particular um single mom, let's say if she is dealing with some type of social rest deficit, so she doesn't have anybody to take care of the child, you know, during the day, and she's the one who's with the child all day long. If the child's at an age where they either take naps, which which are younger ages, or if they're at a school age where they're doing like Zoom school right now at home, um, or or if they're even at a little bit of an older age where, where you know, they can have some free time to themselves. You don't have to like wash them every second of the day. That social rest could be something as simple as, hey, let me set up every Thursday at at 10 a.m. when the child's doing one of those things, napping, school, whatever it is, that I'm going to have a 15-minute co- virtual coffee chat with a friend so that I can have someone that I can spend some time with. Or it could be a virtual wine chat at 9 30 at night. I mean, <laughs> you pick whatever whatever beverage you'd like to have. <laughs> <laughs> and You can create that so that you feel like you have time for you. Something that just for you. That's independent of the child that you don't have to get somebody's permission to do and that you can create with that other person. Mm,
0: That's so good. What about the, so I love the find ways in your day to do these shorter ones that you have more control over, but what are your thoughts about having a daily or one day a week? Of rest, so that Sabbath mindset, do you think that is something that is needed as well is more beneficial? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that is for most people let me give you an, let me give you an example of what that's like for most people. I think when I say the words a, a Sabbath day or a day of rest to most people, it's very similar to the first time that I did a sensory deprivation tank. Uh, a sensory deprivation tank is. It takes away gravity, light, and sound. I got into this pod. I was weightless, floating in complete darkness with no sound. I went into a full-blown panic attack. It was the most foreign experience I'd ever had. At no point in my life had I ever experienced that. And for most people, when I say I'm gonna, I want you to take a full day with no electronics and no activity and no work, and I just want you to kind of rest and. Spend the day, kind of, kind of communing with nature and communing with you know your spiritual side. They're like, what? You know, (laughs) it feels so foreign and to them. And so, I think what we have to do is to introduce the concept in phases to people because I do think that's helpful. Now, I love sensory deprivation tanks. I'm like, I need one in my house. Is what I feel like. It is the most therapeutic, kind of cleansing, um, surreal type experience when you remove all of those sensory inputs. I think it's fantastic, but the very first time it happened, it did not feel good. It actually felt, it felt harmful almost because I was throwing my body into something that it had never experienced before. And I think as far as Sabbath rest, many of us, we need to start with these kind of slower processes of adding in restorative activities and then maybe have a half day where you're practicing that. And when you feel like that's normal to you, you can then add longer periods of time to you are having a full day of Sabbath. I think it's wonderful to get that type of margin in your life because it takes back a lot of control that many of us don't feel we have. We feel like we're overwhelmed, like our day is just pulling us in every direction and we're just kind of helplessly kind of being pulled along with it. And I think that Sabbath is a great time to be able to see that I can stop. I can stop. And I'm, everything's going to be fine, and I don't always have to be grinding and pushing and striving and doing all the things that I can get to a place where I can enjoy life just being and not always doing something. Mm.
0: So, what if your a typical day for you? What are some things that you do? Some of these micro rests throughout your day. What are some of your favorites that you do on a more consistent basis?
1: Number one thing I do is um, the, the active physical rest. That has been a game changer for me. I had a lot of issues. I hold a lot of stress in my upper body. And so I was having a lot of neck aches and pain. My shoulder muscles were staying tight. Carpal tunnel from being on the computer all day long. So I had a lot of just body aches and pains. And so the physical rest just started to be to stop really treating my body like it didn't know what it was talking about. When I would feel a pain, I'd be like, oh, well, i just got to keep going and push through as most of us do. And so now what I do is if I start feeling a pain, I immediately analyze it. Like my wrist starts hurting. Okay, how is my wrist positioning? Let me adjust it now. Rather than waiting five hours from now when my work's over and then just trying to shake it off and, you know, <laughs> fix it then, let me take two seconds to see if I need to change my wrist or pull the computer closer or, or or I'm short, so sometimes I have to prop my legs up when I'm sitting at the desk. I have a little stool up under there so I can make sure that my body positioning's correct. Um, just so many tiny things like that. Shoulder shrugs whenever I feel things tight. Like, um, Another one that's very helpful for me is with the creative rest. Um, for I don't, especially, you know, there was a period of time when you couldn't get out and do kind of the things that you wanted to do. So you had to be creative with creative rest. And so, one thing that was really helpful for me is I love nature. And so I brought nature inside. I I'm, do not have a green thumb. I will kill it if it comes in the house. So I just got fresh cut flowers. I was like, okay, I can keep it alive for like five days. And so fresh cut flowers was an easy way of doing that. It gave me the beauty of outside without the responsibility of having to keep it alive. If it died, just buy another box, you know, another pack of flowers a couple of weeks later. Um, another one that was really helpful. I left the beach. And one of the things with the whole creative rest and beach scenes is that the brain has a very similar response if you're looking at it, even if it's like an image. And so I changed all my lock screens to beach images so that I could get that sense of kind of being in that setting, uh, which was very helpful for me. The sensory component of it, that's helped a lot, um, specifically in the evening times, because I feel like sometimes it's hard for me to downgrade the sensory input because of you know, I, like most of us, I spend a lot of time on my gadgets. And so in the evening times, I make a point of turning down the um, intensity of the light on my computer. You can actually set your computer to do this automatically. That's a little, uh, that's a little um, kind of a roundabout if you don't want to do it yourself. But I like to actually control when it goes up and down. But you can change it. So you're not always having the brightest light intensity coming at you. And to make sure that you do have periods of time when you put the gadgets completely away and to just make that part of your day. At X, Y, Z time, I don't pick up my cell phone again. And for me, that tends to be, I go to bed usually around 9.30. So for me, around 8 o'clock, my cell phone goes down. And anyone knows if they're trying to reach me, they better come knock on the front door because I'm not picking up that cell phone. (laughs) That's your boundary. That's right. Because everybody in my house is in the house by then. So... (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: I love that. That's so good. Well, Dr. Sandra, tell us where we can find more about the rest quiz that all of us are going to go take immediately because we're dying to know what we need to rest most in. But tell us more about that.
1: Yes. Well, the rest quiz is available at restquiz.com. Really simple. And after you take the assessment, you'll get an email that has which of the seven types of fresh you're most efficient in. And from there, you can determine where to focus your attention on those restorative activities. Oh, that's so
0: good. Where is there anywhere else that our audience can follow you, reach you or learn more about you and the book that you have?
1: Yes, the book is Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. And you can learn more about me on my main website at IChooseMyBestLife.com. I love
0: it. Thank you so much, Dr. Sandra. I've loved our conversation. It's been great. Oh, thank you. It's been a
1: pleasure. Here are my
0: key pies takeaways from today's episode. I told you guys it was going to be a good one. The main thing I want you to take away from this is to rest. Find the way or the ways that are going to revive you and rejuvenate you because that's the point of rest. The seven types of rest are physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. I encourage you to go and take the rest quiz that Dr. Sandra talked about, which you can find at restquiz.com. When I took the quiz, it said that the area that I needed the most rest in was that mental area to quiet my mind, to stop the constant ruminating and racing thoughts and ideas and to-do lists that would continue to go through my head and to find some peace and some calm there, which I totally agree with. One of the benefits of taking this rest quiz is it's a tool to help you see some things that you could be focusing on now to find that rest, to find that rejuvenation. And to all of my high-performing achievers on the other side of this podcast who have listened to this and think that you still can get away with not resting in these areas of your life, you're wrong. I know what you're thinking. I can read your thoughts right now. And I'm telling you, you've got to prioritize this. You will burn out. You will lose your patience. You will become more irritable. You will have heightened anxiety if you don't find rest in your life. Use these seven areas as ways that can guide you into the best ways you can begin resting right now. Go get your free attraction assessment at itstartswithattraction.com. In this assessment, you will be able to self-assess yourself in all four areas of attraction to see the areas in which you could use the most growth and to identify the areas that you are already slaying it. Go get your free guide at itstartswithattraction.com friends, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember to go and subscribe to this podcast and leave an honest review. I love to hear from you guys. So be sure to go and do that. And it will also help more people find the podcast as well.